Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Praise God, it's good to see everyone and to be seen by you. Um, Thank the Lord for his work in our lives continually. And um, I thank the Lord for the season that he has us in. Um, as was announced, we're um, entering today into a season of prayer and fasting. And for the month of May, we're setting ourselves apart unto the Lord to seek his face. And Pastor Rob shared last week from Luke chapter 11 and really helped to encourage our hearts as we set our faces to the Lord to pray and to seek him. And um, my desire today is to do likewise, to further encourage us as we seek the Lord. And um, to, to everyone who's a member, I would ask you to ensure that you check your email for detailed clarification as to how we're approaching this month of prayer and fasting. Um, Thursdays are being set apart as our day of corporate fasting where we will be corporately fasting together on that day and then gathering as one people with one heart and one mind to seek God in one location. Amen? Amen. And so um, that's Thursdays. But outside of that, we're encouraging people to fast and to continue in prayer. The Word says that we're to pray without ceasing. Amen? And so we're not just limited to one day and one location with regard to the submitting of ourselves to the Lord in fasting and prayer, and information is on your um, email. It's been sent out. It's called Wait. As we wait on the Lord, let's do so in sync with His Word, with His Spirit, and with one another. Amen? So, today we're going to give further consideration to seeking the Lord. And I don't know about you, but... I'm one of those people who loves to barter. That might not really surprise you about me. Some people hate bartering. So a few years ago, myself and my family went to Turkey. And as is customary in that part of the world, if you go to the markets, you go with the the anticipation to barter. Now, some people won't go to the market for that reason because they're not trying to haggle with no one. You go and just imagine, if we had that culture over here, you're going in Sainsbury's, get to the till. That's £2.50. Whoa! I say it's worth a pound twenty-five. actually, really. Just imagine how long it would take to get through checkouts. And we're so used to that kind of culture that the whole notion of bartering and haggling, it's just foreign to us. But in those countries, it's normal. And I was an individual who ran into the market, ready, sleeve rolled up like Marvin Hagler, ready to haggle some, some prize deals out of the people in the market. And you know that there's no time when, even if you're an individual who loves to barter, there's, there's no other occasion that you feel absolutely terrible for bartering like when you bartered and that great deal you thought you got was a ripoff. 
you haggled and you got them down to a great price and you just felt accomplished. Maybe I'm just speaking for myself because I've been there. You felt accomplished. And then you found that actually it was worth half the price that you paid for it. If not, listen, I've been in that situation a couple of times and it was really the Lord afflicting my pride because I shouldn't have gone in there so confidently as if I really was going to beat the people at their own game. And yet still, when it comes to prayer, so many of us have a tendency to barter with God in order to get that positive outcome that we desire. We offer God something in the hope that he will respond with the positive outcome that we desire. And so today I want us to to consider the real key to seeking God. As much as we may attempt to barter, as much as we may be tempted to barter, is that really the key to seeking God? Is that really the key to having answer to our prayers? And so we're going to be looking at Second Chronicles chapter 20. And as you turn there, I'll pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, I come before you with great joy, Lord, with thanksgiving, Lord, because you are good. Your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies are new every morning. You are the covenant-keeping God who invites us to come to you and make our requests known. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, that you would help us today as we consider your word that you would speak to us, Lord, and reveal to us that key to seek in your face. Have your way among us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, from verse 1. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon, Tamar, that is Engedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. I'll pause there. So, Jehoshaphat, the main character that we've encountered and will be um, observing in the scripture today, is presently the king of Judah. He's the king of Judah, and he's fifth in succession after David, King David, who um, was the was God's first true king. Although we know Saul was a king, David was the king, and David was the king of the united people of God. They were one people. All the 12 tribes were united under his leadership. And David had set in his heart to build God a temple, a place where his name would be recognized. And God said to David, nah, David, that's not for you. You're a man of war. You've got blood on your hands. And so that's going to be for your son to do. And so Solomon was the 
next to the throne. And again, he ruled over a united nation, and he was the one who took the plans of his father David and built the temple unto the glory and honor of God's name. After Solomon, the nation was divided. People apostatized. They forsook God. They were influenced by the beliefs of non-Jews or Gentile nations, and they went on their way, forsaking Judah and particularly Jerusalem, which is the place where the temple existed. And so now we have Jehoshaphat, and he is regarded as a king of mixed fortune. On one hand, he's regarded as a good king. In the previous chapter, chapter 19, we see that he established reforms throughout the, 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 the state of Judah. The people were wavering. The people were deviating from God's will. And as a good king, he came and he said, okay, look, let's put things in order. And he established judges and he charged them under God to administer the word of God to the people. Now, as being a king of mixed fortunes, he, um, he had his weaknesses. And one of Jehoshaphat's key weaknesses was that he loved to try and make alliance with the people of the north of Israel who had separated from Judah. The people who had gone into apostasy, they had forsaken the faith of God. And he had previously, in chapter 18, made an alliance with Ahab. And at the end of this chapter that we're in, chapter 20, he goes on to try and make an alliance with another of the northern kings. Wasn't a good move. And in the beginning of chapter 19, he was rebuked by the prophet for actually trying to make that alliance. But one of the things that was said about Jehoshaphat, and it's an encouragement to to our hearts today, in chapter 19, verse 3, as the prophet had rebuked him for making an alliance with the ungodly north, he went on to say, Nevertheless, some good is found in you, for you destroyed the Ashtaroth out of the land and have set your heart to seek God. And so, as we meet Jehoshaphat at the beginning of chapter 20, we see him facing grave danger. We see him facing a great multitude who were just round the corner ready to swoop on Judah and overtake them. And the emphasis of them being a great multitude was made because they were bigger than the people of Judah. The people of Judah could not manage them. We saw three peoples, three nations in alliance against Judah. So how many of you know Jehoshaphat was under pressure? He was under pressure. Big trouble in little China. Big trouble. And one of the things as we look at the text, we appreciate that this wasn't directly as a result of sin. 
Very often Israel would experience the onslaught of enemies because of their unfaithfulness, because of the fact that they had forsaken God, because they had sinned against God. But this wasn't directly and evidently because of that. It was just one of those situations where life had turned on Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. Now, many of us have been in that situation. We know what it's like to be under pressure. You know what it's like to face trouble. It might be trouble as a result of your sin, but then it might not. It might be just life coming for you. The enemy on your case, ready to deal with you. You might be an individual who's facing redundancy or has faced redundancy and you felt that pressure. How am I going to pay the bills? I'm, I'm, I'm in line for redundancy. You know what they say? Last in, first out. The temptation in that situation might be to cry out to God and seek his face and even barter with God. How many times have we found ourselves in that situation where we're saying, Lord, if you, I tell you, if you just, if you just save my job, Lord, I'll give you half my pay packet. <laughs> and we're looking for means to cause God's favor to be inclined toward us. We look for ways in which we might persuade or influence God with regards to our sincerity or the seriousness of our need and the need for him to give us attention to the point where we start reaching for bargaining chips. This is the position that Jehoshaphat was in. Where there was a massive temptation to reach for bargaining chips. In fact, verse 3 tells us that he was afraid. He was shook, petrified. I don't know if you've ever felt fear to the point where it's felt like the blood has drained from your body down to your toes and it's not trying to make its way back to your heart. And your heart is racing And you feel sick into the pit of your stomach. Your gut's churning. I mean, they were bats, bruv. They weren't butterflies. That kind of fear in your gut when you're just like, this is terrible. And it's even worse when you're in a position where you can do nothing about it. I remember when I was young, (laughs) and we was at a summer play scheme in Clapham and Clapham wasn't as gentrified as it is now it was still kind of hood and I remember when you're laughing like was there ever a time when Clapham was hood (laughs) don't watch that so anyway I remember I had left the play scheme to go to shop and was heading back to the play scheme And I just heard screaming. I was about 150 
feet from the, 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 the door to the place came, I heard screaming. I saw people running. And there was this guy running in the street with a shotgun in his hand. Well, you know about fear. When, when your knees give way underneath you, involuntarily, I was ready to stop, drop, and roll. And you know, the worst thing is this, because I was a coward. I can't even lie. I just ran. I ran off. You know, some people, right, they would duck behind the car and want to see what's going to happen. I ducked out. And I didn't even look back. And I didn't think twice for my friends that was in place. I was gone. Fear gripped me. Listen. There's those times when we feel immense fear. And in that place, that fear can cause us again to feel the need to find some kind of bargaining chip to, to really convince the Lord to hear us as we seek his help. One of the things we'll learn from Jehoshaphat as we look at his response to the situation was that actually... There is no need for a bargaining chip. In fact, there's no place for a bargaining chip. But there is a key to us succeeding in seeking God's face. And so, in verse 3, it says, Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat was a person who was accustomed to seeking God. There's nothing worse than needing help and feeling like the only person you know can help you is someone that you don't really know too well. You can relate to that, right? That person who you feel, if I go to them and ask for help, they know that I'm begging it. That I'm just trying to beg friend because I have a need. It's different if you know the person and then you have relationship with the person. There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a already a, an established relationship of give and take, care and, and being cared for. And so it's much easier in that scenario. Do you ever feel like coming to God for help is you begging friend because you're not very accustomed to talking to him? You're not very accustomed to seeking him? You're not very accustomed to relating to him. Jehoshaphat was accustomed to seeking the Lord, as we saw in chapter 19. And he set his face to do what he knew to do, to seek the Lord. And in doing so, as the king, he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Some may see that as, now Jehoshaphat's pulling out that bargaining chip. Everybody get fasting. Everybody forsake the food. And if you have had any experience in fasting and you're anything like me, you know that's kind of a challenge. Fasting is not like being on a diet, you know, where you can pick and choose what you will eat. Fasting is no food. (laughs) Just none, full stop. 
there's never a more grouchy believer <laughs> when they're well into their fast. But this wasn't Jehoshaphat pulling out the bargaining, the, the ace card from the sleeve. Well, we're in trouble. We're going to seek God. And you know how we're going to seek God and really get his attention? We're going to fast. That wasn't what Jehoshaphat was doing. Jehoshaphat was seeking the Lord in order to hear from him. In order to discern what his will is, that his will might be done. So, and we'll see this. Jehoshaphat wasn't going to God in order to just be delivered, be rescued. That would be the byproduct of Jehoshaphat going to God. And so the calling of the fast was to enable the people to be in the best place to hear from God. In the best place to respond to God's bidding. Um, how many of you got DAB radio? A couple. Wow, Linda, I'm impressed. <laughs> God's will. Now, I remember when DAB radio was, um, was promoted and it was kind of like going to be the, 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 the best thing since sliced bread. And it was going to be distortion-free. I mean, if any of you ever listened to Premier um, or Premier Gospel, or even like some of you are, all right, look, I get too spiritual for you. Forget Premier. I know you listen to your pirate stations, your <laughs> underground stations, right? And you've got the static, and you've got the distortion, and the signal's not clear. And you're like, oh, if only this were better. And then DAB comes along as being that distortion-free format where you can enjoy your radio in crystal clarity. Well, fasting is like switching from analog to DAB. When we simplify ourselves before God, we humble ourselves before God, and we endeavor to tune out all of the distortion and distraction so that we can have a clear link, clear communication between us and God. And so even as we call this season of prayer and fasting, it's not even us trying to twist God's arm. This is us saying, Lord, here I am. Without strings and baggage, without distortion and distraction, here we are, Lord, your people. We're seeking your face. Speak. We're ready to do your will. And we're demonstrating a readiness to do his will by abstaining from food. And we're not passively seeking God, but we're actively seeking God with a demonstration of a commitment to him above ourselves. And so this is what Jehoshaphat was doing. Not pulling for the bargaining chip. And in verse 4 it says, Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. All of the people from all around responded to the call to seek God. And so in verse 5, Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. He stands there before all of the people who have gathered to seek God. 
And as he stands there, he's about to make his response to God on behalf of the people. As we look at verses 5 to 10, sorry, 5 to 12, we will notice 10 things that demonstrate one thing. And that one thing is the key to seeking God's face. Jehoshaphat takes 10 steps. He makes 10 statements, if you like, that demonstrate that he had the key to seeking God's face. In verse 6, well, in verse 5, we see, first of all, that Jehoshaphat, and this is number one, brought the people to the house of the Lord. Jehoshaphat brought the people to the house that had God's name. And remember, this was a, a relatively new development in the history of the people of Judah because it was only Solomon who completed the building of the temple. And whereas before they had a, a mobile tent being the tabernacle, which was identified as the place where the people met with God. Now they had a place that was built with grandness and splendor. And it was known as the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. Jehoshaphat didn't try and seek God in the club or in the pub. Some of us are tempted when we're in problems. and we're The first thing we do is we don't run to seek God we try and drown our sorrows or escape from the reality. Or we run to someone else. And only when we found that we've got no help in those other places do we then turn to seek God. But the first place, Jehoshaphat, and the first thing he does is gather people under the name of the Lord in the house of the Lord. That's the best place from which to seek God when we're in the community of the believers. Verse 6. And he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. And so, in verse 6, we see Jehoshaphat rightly recognizes God's sovereign power and authority over all. Not just the people of Judah, not just the people of Israel, but over all people. At a time when each nation had their own God, and if you traveled through the land, you'd kind of travel through this territory, and it was, this territory was under the God of Tammuz. And you go for another territory, and this territory was under the, the God of Baal. And you'd, but Jehoshaphat was recognizing, Lord God, you are God over everyone and everything, everywhere. Nobody cannot cross you. 
Now imagine you're facing an insurmountable situation. You're facing a fear-inducing situation that you know that you can do nothing about. Who are you going to call? You ain't going to call Ghostbusters. <laughs> I mean, God is the ultimate Ghostbuster, isn't it? Led captivity captive, like run out the duppy them. Yeah? But ultimately, who better to go to than to know you can go to him who has power over all. He has power over every circumstance and situation that you're facing. There is nothing beyond his ability to touch, affect, change, move. God is sovereign. And even the fact, as you acknowledge God's sovereignty, that you acknowledge God's sovereignty, that very fact suggests that you appreciate that you're in that situation by his will. Sometimes we face situations and we, we, we're trying to fight the situation and it's like we're trying to fight God. And we get resentful, no, Lord, why? Listen, God is sovereign. Psalm 115 says our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. The sooner we learn and appreciate that, the more delightful and joyous our life will be. I know that as I began to surrender to the sovereignty of God in my life as a Christian and having been a Christian of many years, it really kind of leveled out the road in so many ways. That doesn't mean that we don't face trials. It doesn't mean that we don't have difficulties. But we appreciate that God is over all, in control of all, and able in every situation. God is sovereign. In verse 7, we see Jehoshaphat Call on the faithfulness of God. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? He acknowledges and he brings to God's attention his faithfulness. God, you're faithful. Look what you've done. You brought us here. You gave us this land. You ran out the enemies from before us. And you've done so in accordance with your promise to your friend, Abraham. God is faithful. In whatever situation you're facing, God is faithful. And in verse 8, we recognize... That Jehoshaphat draws attention to the forefathers' faithfulness to God. The forefathers' faithfulness to God and his glory. And they have lived in it, that is your people, as he mentioned in verse 7, and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name. So the people lived in the land that God gave. And in response to God, under the instigation and inspiration of David the king, the people built this temple as a response to God's faithfulness. And it is a place that bears his name. And they faithfully 
In that instant, and they weren't far from always faithful, but in that instant, the people who had gone before Jehoshaphat had been faithful to God. There is one who has been ultimately faithful to God, who has gone before us. And as we come to God, we see another reason why we don't need a bargaining chip because of that one who has been faithful on our behalf. In verse 9, we see two things. The fact that God had set apart this people to represent him. And therefore, this people were completely dependent on him. If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And so we see recognized here, listen, if things go pear-shaped, where else are we going to go, God? We're coming to you. We're coming to you at your house because we're your people and we represent you. And what happens to us reflects on you and your glory. And we will call on you and you'll respond to us, Jehoshaphat says confidently. In verse 10, we see that Jehoshaphat highlights the people's former obedience to God. The people's former obedience to God. And so he says, And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade. Lord, you wouldn't let us invade them. When they came from the land of Egypt, and whom... The people who came out of Egypt avoided these nations and did not destroy. So the people were obedient to God. God had said to the Israelites as they came out of Egypt, don't trouble those nations, leave them. And they did. And now those very same nations are coming to attack. And so the people were obedient to God. We see in verse 11, Jehoshaphat highlight the fact that, actually, Lord, these people are coming against us, but they're actually challenging you. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession. It's your possession, Lord. And you gave it as our inheritance. And so we see Jehoshaphat calling to mind the fact that this attack is an affront, not just to us, Lord, but to you. We're your people in your land that you gave us as an inheritance. Now, I remember when I was younger, um, I had a bike, and the bike was given to me <clears throat> by my dad. And 
I remember there was a friend of mine, in bunny ear quotes, who took my bike and he wouldn't come back. And at the time when he took my bike and he wouldn't come back, and I mean, he, I don't know how far he was planning to get because I knew where he lived anyway. But guys were so snaky those days that he could have gone and sold my bike. That's the kind of guy he was. So my dad happened to be around at the time and I remember saying to my dad, oh dad, you know what? This guy's taken my bike, you know. You know that bike that you gave me? <laughs> now you can imagine my dad's response. Immediately, he's not just thinking, oh, this boy's trying to take liberty with my son. It's like he's trying to take liberty with my things that I gave to my son. Thankfully, it wasn't a dramatic ending. <laughs> because as we walked off, I think that word had spread. My dad was on the warpath, and so he just leaned the bike up somewhere, convenient <laughs> and visible. <laughs> when we're attacked, when trouble comes against us as the people of God, God takes it personal. He takes it personal, just like when Jesus confronted Saul of Tarsus. Saul, this is Saul the Christian killer in Acts 9. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul had never personally encountered Jesus in his life in the flesh. But he had encountered his people and was killing them off. Certified killer. He said, I went and got letters from the Jewish authorities, that I might capture these people in the way, wherever they be. And yet when Jesus knocked him off his feet, Jesus' beef was, look, you are troubling me if you trouble my people. And so... As we look at verse 12, we see Jehoshaphat conclude the sum of the matter, as it were. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Jehoshaphat stated complete and utter dependence. And he was able to do that confidently because as he stated all of these points here, these 10 different aspects, what he was saying was one thing. And that one thing is the key to seeking God. He was saying, God, you are a covenant-keeping God who is more concerned with your glory than my comfort. And we are seeking your glory. You see, to genuinely seek God is to, to seek the glory of him who keeps covenant. And we see Jehoshaphat highlights that they are the people who bear his name, the name that he gave to the people in the place that he gave to the people. 
They were the people that he had set apart to himself. Having made a covenant with Abraham. And it's important that we understand what a covenant is. A covenant is a more powerful type of contract. So many people say a covenant is a contract. It's a binding agreement between two people. But a covenant is much more than that. It's much more than an agreement between two people. You have a mobile phone contract. If you don't pay your bill, you've broken your contract. The other party are not obliged to continue providing you a service. EE, O2, or whoever will simply cut you off. And they won't think twice about it because you're in breach of contract. Now, the reality is that works both ways. And if you have the patience and the power to fight them when they're in breach of contract, the law will support you. This is one of my beefs with these big corporations. I can't lie, because I think they take liberties with people, knowing that people don't have the patience or the power to fight them. And I always have to ask the Lord to forgive me, because I really do get very ignorant and, and, and carnal when it comes to the way that they exploit people. And I've had to exercise some institutional forgiveness. <laughs> really, that was a revelation to me one day. The Lord spoke to me, you know, when I was studying forgiveness. He said, you know, you need to exercise some institutional forgiveness because you've got bitterness in your heart <laughs> towards T-Mobile. <laughs> Listen. But a covenant is more than that. We see in Genesis chapter 12, when God made a covenant with Abraham, he made a sacrifice. So it was a covenant of blood. When was the last time you signed a contract in your blood? Like, you're not going to be quick to do that, right? Because you're going to be like, hmm, this is devilish. (laughs) But a covenant is cut with blood. Otherwise, it's not legitimate. And as in Genesis 12, God made the covenant with Abraham, he separated the sacrifice, the animal, the beast that he had killed, and Abraham saw that the, the fire of God's spirit passed between the two pieces of the animal. And that basically signified and indicated that if God doesn't keep the covenant, this is what will happen to him. It's interesting that Abraham never had to pass through the, the, the animals. There was no suggested consequence upon Abraham if he didn't keep the covenant. You see, a covenant with God is always one-sided because God knows that we're sinners and that we are going to fail and that we're going to break the covenant, but God is faithful to his everlasting covenant and he will keep it even when we don't. And so when we call on the covenant-keeping God, it's not on the basis of our goodness or our worth. We come with a bargaining chip, we're wasting our time thinking as if what we've got is of any worth to God. Who has everything, who needs nothing, who knows the future. And so we see, even though Abraham at times sought to 
bargain with God. So God promises him a son. And his wife, Sarai, says, Abraham, God's taking long. Hagar, here, my servant, have her. And rather than listen to God, he listened to the voice of his wife. Where have we seen that before in scripture? I'm not trying to hate on women. It's all right, breathe easy. Just stay in the text. <clears throat> and yet, he felt, okay, Lord, you're taking long. Let me help you out. Let me offer you something to get this positive outcome that I'm waiting on. And yet he flopped. We saw that in the garden, right? With Adam and Eve. And we see numerous occasions throughout biblical history where individuals attempted to bargain with God. Even up until the time of Christ, when Jesus came and he made it to the Garden of Gethsemane without sin, the spotless Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And he gets to the Garden of Gethsemane and that that penultimate night before he was sacrificed. And as he was there feeling the pressure and the terror of what lay before him, sweating as if drops of blood, he said to God, in that moment of temptation, because we know that Jesus was tempted, right? Sometimes I think we lose sight of that. We forget that Jesus experienced temptation in his humanity. And he turned and he said to God in his temptation, if it were possible, let this cup pass from me. But that wasn't the end of the matter. Although that was a temptation to bargain with God, God, like, is there some way to let this cup... But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And even in the face of temptation, the temptation to bargain with God, Jesus overcame and submitted himself humbly to the will of him who keeps covenant. And in fact, went on to become the sacrifice through which We are brought into the new covenant by repentant faith. And therefore, no longer in need of approaching God, seeking God, on the basis of what kind of bargaining we're able to bring to the table. Because Jesus is our bargaining chip. Jesus laid down his life. The most costly, the most valuable. In fact, the only thing that God would recognize that we could bring to him of any value. And so as we call on the name of the Lord, we are saved. As we put our faith in Jesus, the bargaining chip that the Father provided, we know that we are brought into that new covenant. And we're brought into an unbreakable relationship with the God who keeps covenant, even from a one-sided point of view. And so it doesn't matter how many times you've sinned, feeling like 999 times I say, Lord, forgive me for the same sin. 
God is faithful. He recognizes those who are in his son as one with him, his own. They're in that best place in relationship with Jesus Christ, bearing his name, having his righteousness conferred upon us. And so, as you seek God, don't be tempted to bargain apart from knowing that Jesus Christ is the only means by which we can truly seek God and succeed. And we do this because we don't simply seek a positive outcome, but we seek his glory, the purpose for which we were made. You were made to glorify God. And God's intention in interacting with us is that ultimately the Son would be glorified continually and consistently. And we see this in John chapter 14. Jesus said, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And so the key to effectively and successfully seeking God is coming to the God who keeps covenant with one goal in mind, his glory. Not just our positive outcome, but the glorifying of Christ. Knowing that in every situation, everything that you face, God has purpose that Christ be glorified. And he is faithful to do so. I'm going to ask the guys to come back and um, join me. I'm going to encourage us to stand. If you're here today and you have not repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, you've not surrendered to him as Lord, then you come before God without a leg to stand on. And you will always be in that place of insecurity and vulnerability, feeling like, is God really going to hear me? What can I offer? You have nothing to offer. Absolutely nothing. Apart from the humbling of yourself, the recognition of your sin and receiving forgiveness and relationship through faith in Christ. But know this, if you do that, you have guaranteed relationship. You have guaranteed access as you submit to Christ. And so if that's you today, You know what? Jesus says, come. He says, come to me, all of you who are fed up of being fed up. 
You faced fear. You faced trouble. You faced insecurity consistently. I felt like you have no refuge and nowhere to go. Jesus has come. God is good. Lord, we thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for giving us your Son so that in Him we're able to make appeal to you, the God who keeps covenant. Having repented of our sin and turned to you in faith, recognizing our guilt, recognizing all of the floppage, recognizing all of the times when we've attempted to bargain with you in in our flesh with empty and futile things. And yet, Lord, you still heard us when we cried unto you. You still heard us when we called upon your name. When we called upon the name of Jesus who has been given the name above every name. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us into relationship with you through the only way possible, the death and resurrection of your son on our behalf. Thank you, Lord. So my prayer today is, Lord, that as we seek your face, we would seek you with confidence. We will, as your word says in Hebrews chapter 4, come boldly before your throne of grace. Because we know that Jesus has entered into the heavens and makes intercession on our behalf. Thank you, Father, that we don't need a bargaining chip because Jesus has paid the price. Thank you, Lord God. Have your way among us, Lord, we pray. Amen. find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.